So now we're going to take that information, we're going to apply it to these next few steps, and we're going to see that it really isn't too difficult at all. On page 72 it says, Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our Creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we've admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. Now we must stop here and point out that step five says we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. But here you'll notice in the narrative he did not say wrongs, he said the exact nature of our defects. And we're going to find that Bill, every time in this narrative, when he refers to these steps five, six, and seven, that he jumbles these words up, he doesn't pay a bit of attention where he uses them. He used wrongs in the step, but he uses defects in the narrative. In step seven, he uses shortcomings. But in the narrative for step six, we'll see after a while, where he, where he talked about instead of defects, he talked about things that are objectionable. And then the narrative on seven, instead of talking about shortcomings, he talks about defects. And he just jumbled them up and used them any way he wanted. And people used to ask Bill about that. And again, he would say, when I took those English and writing courses in college, they taught me to use the same words over and over. shows how ignorant you really are. He said, it doesn't make any difference what you call them. They're all the same. He said, in four, we find out those things that block us off from God's will. In five, we're going to talk about them to another human being. In six, we're going to become ready to turn them loose. And in seven, we're going to ask God to take them away. And he said, you can call them anything you want. A mistake, a fault, a defect, a shortcoming, or whatever. And we'll watch him do that as we go through these next three steps. Here was the first place he did that. It says, this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects, not wrongs, our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Well, that's about as good a reason as I can think of. But now he tells us why that's true. He said, time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to them certain facts to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humming experience, they've turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they failed. But we think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. But they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. Now that statement is a statement that caused us to write our life stories in step four before we learned how to do the inventory the way the book says. You know, really we've shared all our life story. 
in these grosser handicap areas those things that really count. If I list the resentments in my head today, they didn't come in there just today. Some of them were put in there last week, last year, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. And if I honestly list my resentments that's in my head today, I have shared all my life story resentment-wise. If I list all my fears, they didn't come just today either. Those fears have been embedded in my head from time to time throughout my entire lifetime. And if I've shared those fears, I've shared all my life story fear-wise. Those harms I've done to other people, I didn't do it just today. I've been hurting people all my life. My mother said, Charlie, you were a difficult child for me to love also. She said, you've been hurting people as far back as I can remember. And I've shared all my life story harm-wise to other people in the three gross areas of things that really caused me to drink. I just don't think the fact I was born in 1929 has anything to do with my alcoholism. But the things that really caused me to drink, I've shared them with another human being. In the middle of page 73, he said, More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents a stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we've given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. You know, it really doesn't make any sense, but we alcoholics will go to a psychiatrist, pay them $7,500 an hour, lay down on the couch, and lie to them all the time we're laying there. Let's face it, we have become the world's greatest con artist. You have to be if you're a practicing alcoholic. You've got to learn how to lie, con, manipulate other people. You've got to know how to fool other people. And above all, you have to be able to con yourself. You know, some of those things that we do while drinking, I don't believe we can face those things honestly and live with them. So what we do is we suppress those things deep inside ourselves, cover them up where we don't have to look at them. We've already seen what we do with resentments. Through resentments, we transfer blame to other people, clear ourselves of that, and then we're able to go on with our life the way we want to live it. And we've been conning people and ourselves forever. We are the world's greatest actors. Now, why would I believe that suddenly in step four that I'm going to be 100% honest with me? I did the dead level best I could in step four, but I lie to me so much that it's impossible for me to take step four. I think one of the reasons for step five is for me to take my step four to another human being who knows what I'm trying to do, who's walked the walk before, who can help me find these character defects that I need to work on. They can look at it from an outside point of view. They are not involved in it personally, and they can see it honestly where I can't. And I was amazed by this. Some of those things where I said this was caused by fear, he said, oh no, Charlie, this is plain dishonesty. That's all there is to it. 
And some of them, I said, this is caused by sex. And he said, oh, no, no, no. Here you're trying to build your self-esteem. He helped me find the things that I needed to change. Sure, we know that confession is good for the soul. We know that you get relief from sharing with another human being. But I also need to find out everything I can find out about me during this step four and five process. This is another reason I need to share with another human being. I can't even be honest with me today. I'm the world's greatest con artist right now. You know, you can be sitting there with a $100 bill sticking out of your shirt pocket. I can walk by you and pick up that $100 bill, and by the time I get to the back door, I have already justified why I needed to do that. And by the time I'm through the back door, I will have figured out how I've already done you a favor stealing your $100. Now, we are good at that. I think that's one of the reasons we need step five, so we can see truthfully, honestly, morally, what we really are and the things we need to change. Joe? Uh, Charlie said that step five deals with the exact nature. And exact, you know, he has some words there, exact in nature. It means, specifically in this case, the inherent characteristic of the resentment or the fear. What, where did it originate? It really originated in that fourth column. Those are the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this selfishness, the dishonest. Those are the characters that actually were the origination of the resentment. And those are the things we're going to discuss and try to, with another human being, and try to identify in a better way than we did in the inventory. Page 74 has to deal with how to select someone to do this with. Um, and we all have sponsors today, but in, in the earlier days, this book was complete. And in that, those days, uh, they didn't have any sponsors. They had to, when the new book, when the book first came out, it hasn't been changed. It told those people how they might find someone to do this with. Now, over on page 75, it says, When we have decided who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory, and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life or death errand. Most people approaching this way would be glad to help there be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. And he says, once we have taken this step with holding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us, and we begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the great power may disappear will often come strongly. We'll feel we're on a broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Now, if we look at this results of this step, we can see that the results of step five is greater than any step we've taken to this point. You know, it says we begin with certain spiritual beliefs. In step two, we came to believe. But at the end of step five, the spiritual experience begins at the end of step five. Not when we take step three, but at the end of step five. And it's the greatest results we've gotten throughout the program because we put a lot more into step five. We had to go out and had to do something. We put more action into it so we get more out of it. So we see even more personality change taking place as a result of step five. When we finish that, he says, returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. So he gives us a little rest. It's the only place where he tells you you can have a little rest. After step five, you need a little rest. 
But he didn't say 38 days. He said one hour. <laughs> okay. Careful reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelves, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals. We ask if we have many anything for we are building an arch to which we should walk with free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement and put in the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? And again, he goes, he's going back to the little picture that he started painting way back in the first step. Remember when he said that the wilderness was the foundation? And then in step two, he said believing was the cornerstone. And in step three, he said step three was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch to which we passed to freedom. And now in step four and five, we have added two more stones until they said examine those. And he's talking about the personality change that has taken place, which we've already seen the results of that. And those two things, are, that is a little picture of what we're working on. And some results, we have results all through the steps. We don't have to wait until the last step or wait until after step. We're going to get results after each step. And he said if, if we uh, can answer yes to our satisfaction, then we can look at step six. Over on page 76, if we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Now that's all on step six. One short paragraph. And if you'll notice in that paragraph, he did not mention defects of character. The step does, but the narrative doesn't. Here he said, those things which we have admitted are objectionable. Surely we can see now in that fourth column that old selfish character sitting out there. We can see that old dishonest character out there. We can see that self-seeking, frightened character out there. We can see that inconsiderate person. And surely through step four and five, we've been able to see. That's what's kept us doing things that hurt other people and cause those people to retaliate. Those are the things that make us restless, irritable, and discontented. Those are the things that keep us from forgiving other people that's done things to us even though we had no part in it. If we could change that character out there, then we might find some peace of mind and happiness. Surely by now those things are objectionable to us. But the book recognizes that self cannot overcome self. And it recognizes we still may not be willing to turn loose of those things. And if we, he says if we aren't willing, we ask for the willingness till it comes. Now sometimes the only way we can be willing to do these things is, is to ask God for the willingness to be willing to do them. This is going to bring change if we turn loose of these things. And we human beings are scared to death of change because we don't know what change is going to bring. And sometimes we would rather sit there in the pain then take a chance on changing into something we don't know what it's going to be. You see, if you've been selfish all your life, you don't know what unselfishness will bring. If you've been dishonest all your life, well, how in the hell are you going to make a living honest? If you've operated on fear all your life, well, you don't know what courage will, will what that will cause. If you've never considered other people, 
then you don't know anything about a life where you consider other people, and sometimes it's easier just to sit there and do nothing. And let's face it, some of the character defects are fun. Some of that stuff's exciting. And life may not be any fun if you don't continue doing the same stuff. So sometimes it's difficult to get rid of that stuff. But with God's help, we can become willing to change. I don't think we would ever become willing if it was not for step four and five. That shows us what that stuff does to us and why we need to get rid of it. Now, the book says, when ready, we say something like this. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We then completed step seven. Now, step seven said shortcomings, but here in the narrative he said defects of character. You see what he's done with them? He's just used them interchangeably back and forth, pays no attention to where they are. In four, we found those things that block us off from God's will. In five, we talked about them to another human being. In six, we become willing to have God remove them. In seven, we ask him to take them away. We have then completed step seven. Bang, bang. It really doesn't take very long to do six and seven when we're ready to do it. But I think a great mistake that we make in AA is we assume now that we've done six and seven that God is going to strike us as pure as the driven snow and everything will be great from now on. No, these are not the steps God took. These are the steps that we took. <laughs> no, God doesn't need these steps. He's in pretty good shape already. <laughs> we don't believe that God will do for us what we can do for ourselves. Now, he'll do what we can't. But we doubt if he'll do what we can do for ourselves. Left on our own resources, we cannot get rid of selfishness, dishonesty, fear, and inconsideration. But God can take those things away, providing we're willing to fill the void that's left. Remember, God will not allow a vacuum or a void in a human mind or anywhere else. He cannot take away my character defects and leave a blank in my head. Those places will have to be refilled with something. And the only thing that can fill them is the opposite. If I want God to take away my selfishness, then I, with God's help, and what little bit of strength I can muster, I'm going to have to start trying to be unselfish and consider other people. If I want him to take away dishonesty, then I'm going to have to start trying to be honest. If I want him to take away fear, then I'm going to have to start kicking myself in the rear and say, get up from here and go do those things you need to do. If I want him to take away consideration then I need to start considering other people and what they need and what they want. And that's very difficult for me as a selfish, self-centered human being to do. And I can't do it on my own, but I can do it with God's help. My mind is nothing more than a set of mental habits, just like my body is a set of mental habits. The only way you develop a habit is to work at it. And I worked for years to become selfish, dishonest, frightened and inconsiderate, and that became an habitual part of my mind. Now, to change those habits, I'm going to have to work for years at developing a new habit, gradually replacing selfishness with unselfishness, gradually replacing dishonesty with honesty, gradually replacing fear with courage, 
gradually replacing inconsideration with consideration, and slowly over a period of time I become a different human being. Slowly the old character dies and a new character is born. I cannot do it without God's help, but God will not do it by himself. I will have to do my part also. And you know, I find that after those changes are made, 